If you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 12 through 18 this morning. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. As you're opening up there, I want to remind you, uh, next Sunday, sadly, next Sunday is our dear brother and friend Chris Taunton's last Sunday with us at First Baptist Church. Uh, next Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, we're going to have a drive-through reception for Chris. So uh, spread out a little bit as you come. Uh, you know, don't all show up at 1 and we'll just be out there in the heat, uh, wait, wait until things are done. But you'll be able to drive through. You don't have to get out and uh, tell Chris bye. Tell him we love him. We would obviously ordinarily um, have uh, something down in the fellowship hall sheet cake in the fellowship hall kind of situation and uh but we are not yet at the sheet cake in the fellowship hall phase of the COVID-19 crisis yet unfortunately for Chris uh but we will be able to have a drive-through reception there'll be a table there if you want to drop off a, a note or or a gift or anything like that just to tell him thanks that will be there for you and uh, but we will be saying uh, goodbye and we love you and we're proud of you next Sunday to Chris so so bear that in mind. All right, if you have your Bibles open there to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, I'm going to ask you if you would, please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when? When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's pray. O Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds today, Father, to receive your word and God, I pray that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Right now, in probably the most unique way I've known in my lifetime at least, we are all in a trial together. I don't think there's ever been a season of life for pastors where application was easier. Uh, in so many ways, we all know what we're all going through. Now, we're not all going through things in the exact same ways. We're not all going through the exact same things. But we all have a similar set of external circumstances that are being put upon us by this horrible disease that's working its way through our country. We're all in a trial together. And as one of my favorite historical preachers said, it was by perseverance that the snail reached the ark. It's Charles Spurgeon. It was by perseverance that the snail reached the ark. 
Now, when you hear that quote, most of us think about it the way we think about the Winston Churchill quote. If you're going through hell, keep going. That's what we think about, right? We are called to persevere. And while there is certainly some truth to that for the Christian, what we need to recognize is as we are persevering, as we are trusting God through trials, it is not simply that we are the ones persevering, but it is that God himself is persevering us through the trial and throughout our lives. Don't only think about perseverance in terms of what you do. Because that doesn't do you much good, does it? On the days when you feel like fainting, right? The mornings when you wake up and you think, I can't do this anymore. I, I just can't handle it any longer. That, that, if, if it was all about your perseverance, those days are it, right? That's, that's the end of it. And listen, I've talked to a lot of y'all on those days, Right? That's a, I'm a phone call you make a lot on those days, and I've talked to you. And every time I say, don't think for a moment that, that this is totally dependent on you. It is God who is sustaining you even through this. And while we're all in a shared trial in so many ways, many of us are in many trials. Every last one of us is tempted in unique ways every day. Yet all those who are in Christ are held fast they're held firmly they are held forever by him jesus keeps you his you grabbed on to jesus by faith and he will never let you go this morning i want to show you hope in the bible hope in the midst of trials and temptations hope in christ even on bad days are you struggling I emailed y'all last week about it. I don't know a person who's not starting to feel the effects. I've heard from many of you of the way that loneliness is setting in and the way that frustration is setting in, the way that worry is setting in. Are you struggling through this COVID-19 crisis? Are you experiencing other personal trials? Some of you may not even, you may be going through such intense personal trials that you're not even really that impacted by what's impacting the rest of us. All of us, at some level or another, are facing temptations to sin. All of us, every Christian is tempted to sin. I want to show you this morning three truths that I believe with all my heart will help you cling to Jesus. Three truths that will help you cling to Jesus. Here's the first. The Lord grows you through trials. The Lord grows you. Let me state it like this. The Lord gives you growth through trials. Now listen what James said. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Sounds similar, doesn't it? Does it sound familiar to you? Sounds similar to the Beatitudes, the way Jesus talked in the Sermon on the Mount. James learned something from his brother, apparently. In fact, I think as you read James, a lot of people, uh, some people have wrongly, including Martin Luther, said that, that James was too much law and not enough gospel. I'll say that's true when I think that's true of the Sermon on the Mount. I think so much of what James is doing in the book of James is reflecting on the teaching of our Lord and, and showing the way that Christianity is, is set loose, the way grace is taken to work. But notice what he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. 
Now think about this. This is probably not what you want me to say today. But trials are an avenue for blessing. Trials are an avenue for blessing. Now listen to how strange that sounds. I I want you to know how strange that sounds. One way you can know how strange that sentence sounds is go listen to the sort of preaching that people like. It's a lot different than this. In case you didn't know. (laughs) That was a self-deprecating joke. Anyway, so uh, here's, here's where we are. Go, go listen to the sort of preaching that fills stadiums. And what people say is, there is something you can do. If you'll just be better, if you'll just do better, if you'll just have more faith, if you'll just do what you're supposed to do, then you'll, you won't have trials in your life. You won't have difficulties in your life. And I say, tell that to those saints that the Bible talks about in Hebrews 13. It says some were stoned. Some were killed. Some were shipwrecked. Some were sewn in two. You know, the guy that was sewn in two was like, man, if only I had more faith. If only I had more faith, I wouldn't have been sewn in two. No, that's ridiculous. In fact, the author of Hebrews makes the argument in Hebrews 13 that it is a sign of faith when you're sewn in two in the same sense that it's a sign of faith when you put foreign armies to flight. That the great days and the bad days are, are happen to those who have faith equally. The trials, then, are an avenue for the blessings of God. The, the blessings of God are not signified necessarily by the absence of trials. That's what the world would have us think. That's what uh, jack-leg prosperity preachers would have us think is that the absence of trials is a sign of God's blessing. And so I've seen over and over and over again depressed Christians who have been preached to by wolves who sit there and think, if only I had more faith, this wouldn't be happening to me. That is a lie from Satan, from the devil. That always comes with a hiss behind it. Trials provide for you the opportunity to remain steadfast even when your faith is tested. The Lord will bless you and grow you in the midst of your trials. And I oftentimes say to people, if you are in a trial or if you are sensing the discipline of the Lord, the opposite of what you think is true. Because what the darkness in your soul during that time and what the devil would have you think, what your flesh would have you think is, my goodness, what kind of father is this? You feel the same way you did in your bedroom when you were a child after you got in trouble. What kind of father is this? Why would he treat me like this? When I'm a dad, I'm going to let my kids do whatever they want. Anybody heard that one before? I've said it, and I've heard it. Go back to your room, you say, that, what kind of dad is this? What kind of father is this? This isn't love. They don't care about me. But what's the reality? Years later, you look back on it. What do you realize? My parents love me more than I could ever imagine. In the same way I love my children, because I love my children enough to where I am not just going to hand them an iPad and ignore them all day. I'm going to actually get in their lives and deal with what's going on. Now, we don't always do that perfectly. My parents don't always do that perfectly, but we realize that's a sign of love. In the same way, when you are going through a trial, when you are going through difficulties, when you sense the disciplining of the Lord, you don't look to heaven and say, what kind of love is this? You look to heaven and say, what sort of love is this that the God of all creation would treat me like a son? He loves us. 
trials are an avenue for blessing. And one of the blessings of a trial is that it's designed to grow your faith. You see, just, just believing that sentence takes faith, doesn't it? Trials are an opportunity for blessing. They're an avenue for blessing. That takes faith to believe that. Nobody's sitting there first, you know, you get hit in the mouth by a trial, and your first response is, thank you, Lord, may I please have another? That's nobody's response, is it? That's, that's not when anybody thinks, oh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity today to be blessed. No, it takes faith to see it. It takes faith to look at a terrible day and think, God means this for my good. Trusting that God will make all things new takes faith. Trusting that God is using trials for our blessing takes faith. It means that there's a gap between what we see and what we believe, and that's where faith thrives. You see, trials also point us to our hope in Christ. That's what the Bible says. He says, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. This is not like a king's crown. This is an athlete's crown. Think more like a gold medal um, than a great crown for a king. It's the laurel wreath that's given uh, to those who competed and won in athletic events in the ancient Greco-Roman world. Paul's referencing this and showing... I mean, James is referencing this and showing the way. He's demonstrating the way that God has made future promises to His people. And though today we may be in the slough of despondency, there's a future where we will receive through our steadfastness an unfading crown of glory if we finish the race. There's a future promise out there, and what that promise does is we look and we say, okay, this is what my life looks like today. It looks terrible. I'm in a trial. I don't like it. It's just a sorry day or a sorry season. Maybe a terrible year. I don't know. I don't know what y'all are going through. Probably something, though. When you look at him, you say, this is terrible. I don't like it. It's no good. But God has said, one of these days, it'll be nothing but good. One of these days, these trials will be over. Well, to sit in the darkness and look at the light, right? It takes a measure of faith to take God at his word and to say, even though I feel like things will never get better, there's a promise that says things will. My friends, that's how God grows our faith in trials. The desperate lows of a trial plus the glorious heights of the promises of God equals the growth of your faith today. You see that equation that God's working out in our lives? But not only are we grown through trials, but second of all, the Lord delivers you from temptation. Uh, You must have hope in trials and temptations because first of all, the Lord grows you through trials. And second of all, the Lord delivers you from temptation. Let's look at verses 13, 14, and 15. Let no one say when he is tempted. This is an important verse. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you take no other doggy bag of doctrine home with you today, 
I mean, if there's nothing else that you just burn into your heart and into your mind today, burn this thought in your mind. God does not tempt me to sin. God is not a tempter. God may test my faith through trials, and the Lord may allow me to be tempted by sin. He, he has not promised to coddle His children. There's nowhere promised in the Bible that His children would be coddled. And you say, well, I want to be coddled. Well, you just go read. There are four books in the Bible I would encourage you to read. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you go see those books, and I promise you that, that the Father loves the Son. God loves Jesus, okay? Are, are we all together on that? And you see how He treats His Son. Go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See how He treats His Son. And then come back, and you recognize you're being treated very well. You're being treated like a son. God doesn't coddle His children. Yet God is not the one who tempts us to sin. If you have ever been tempted to sin, it's not God in the sin against you. Isn't that how we often see it? Wrongly, I think. It's me down here, little old me, and then there's the big sovereign God, and then there's this sin. And we kind of look at it like a cartoon. God's just dangling that carrot out in front of us. So let's see how Alexander handles this one. I bet it'll be the same as the last. I'm running out of carrots. That's how we often see it when we, when we think wrongly about what God does. No, when you are tempted to sin, when you encounter a temptation, it's not you versus God and the sin. It's you and God versus the sin. God's on your side in temptation. Are you all with me? God, God is with you. He's in you. If you're a believer, the Lord is empowering you and working to deliver you from temptation. Jesus taught us to pray that way. God, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord allows us to be tempted, but His presence and His promise is always with us, even in the midst of temptation. And even so, I think our tendency and temptation to view God as the tempter, as the one who has sort of got this weird game out here that's trying to see if we'll sin or not. The tendency toward that sort of wrong-headedness really betrays an even deeper issue in our understanding of sin and temptation. And it's this, temptation to sin is not a primarily external issue. I've never once talked to a child, to an adult, to any sort of human being about their sin when there was not a list of excuses given. That's me too, all the time, all the time. Y'all can ask Whitney after this. What does Matt say after, after y'all get in a fight? Well, you know, I was hungry. Stressed out, you know, gosh, I mean, if you'd been here, if you'd been here all day, you know, of course that's what we say. Because what we want to say and what we want to believe and what we want to present to others is that our sins are primarily an issue that are outside of us. If you had been in the same circumstances, you would have done the same thing. Nobody could, could be past this. Nobody could, could pass over this sort of thing. If it weren't for these circumstances, I wouldn't have sinned. If the devil hadn't put this in front of me, I would not have sinned. Maybe you've even tried to blame the Lord. I've seen this time and time again. People say, why did the Lord even put me in this situation? Why was there a tree in the garden anyway? Our sin, we think, is primarily an issue outside of us. 
But the reality is sin is not primarily an external issue. It is primarily an internal issue. You carry you with you in every set of circumstances you've ever encountered. What does the Scripture teach? The Scripture teaches your problem is your heart. It's not the world outside. It's not the way you were brought up. Now, I'm not going to discount that there are circumstances that harm us, that mold us, that shape us, that make life more difficult. Some people have been dealt a set of circumstances that I can't even imagine. But the reality is there's one sole responsibility for our sin, and that's us. We love the darkness. By nature, we are bent toward sin. But you've got to understand and recognize that the Lord is not in the business of tempting you, but of leading you out of temptation. Notice what the Scripture says. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The Lord's warned us. He's told us. He's given His Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us every tool we need to overcome temptation. The Lord is not responsible for our sins. We are responsible for our own sins. The Lord is there to help, to guide us, to lead us not into temptation. I want you to think that, my friends. I want you to think about what you desire. If I, if I were to just give you one piece of advice for your spiritual life, it would be for you to appropriately cultivate your desires. What is it you long for? What is it that makes your soul sore? What is it you long after and if you will start to evaluate your desires that's a really good step your affections what is it you are setting your mind and your heart on i'm so glad that that nathan read from romans chapter 12 earlier that talks about the need for the renewal of our minds by the word and the spirit and so we have to recognize in as christians we have to cultivate godward desire if we want to defeat sin so often we do nothing with our desires, and what we do is we just try to stifle our desires down, ignore those things, and let's just clean the outside of the cup. Let's just stifle all that down. That's a good recipe for to be a bitter, angry person. Because all the while what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, you won't let me do any of the things I want to do. It's because you've never really dealt with your desires. You've never really stopped and thought about what it means to authentically desire God. What does it mean to have a heart transformed unto godliness where you long for the right things? That's what God wants. God wants you to want the right things. There's so much to be said about that, but we must move on. We're grown through trials. We're delivered from temptation. And finally, you've got to know that the Lord keeps you by His grace. The Lord keeps you by His grace. The Lord holds you fast by His grace. In a trial, you may not feel blessed. But everything God sends our way is a gift. In a trial, God may seem to be different. 
But God never changes. In a trial, it, it may feel like we're on our own. It may feel like we're by ourselves. What one Christian long gone now called a dark night of the soul. But God brought us forth and God keeps us. Look at the beauty of this passage, my friends. Blessed is the man, verse 12, who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, how does this work? How does this work? When do you... Okay, let's just do a test. See how well we've read. When... Think about this. When does the Bible say you receive the crown? When? When you've been steadfast, right? Is everybody with me so far? The Bible says this, a conditional reception, right? If you are steadfast, then you will receive the crown. But what else does the Bible say? Which God has promised to those who love Him. Now, do y'all see the seeming contradiction here? Do y'all see the struggle? If God has promised it, why do I need to be steadfast? And if I'm doing it to be steadfast, why does it matter if God has promised it? This is the reality of the Christian life, my friends. It is the Lord who keeps us steadfast. It is the Lord who keeps us going. It is the Lord who keeps our eyes on the future. Now you take that truth from verse 12. And you drop on down here to verse 18. Back up. Do not be deceived. Every good gift... Every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Your Father loves you, and all these things that seem so bad are good gifts from the Father. James stops to talk about sin for a minute to make sure it's clear. Sin's not a gift from God, but the trials are. He's saying every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He doesn't change. You may feel like He's changing. You may feel like He is going back on His promises, but He is giving you good gifts even when it doesn't seem like it is so. And James reminds us of His own will, not because of something we've done, not because of who we are, but of His own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. That is, as the preaching of the word happened, God by His Spirit ignited faith in your heart so that you might trust Him. And He brought you forth as a new creature by the word of truth so that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Do you see what James is painting a picture of here? It is God who saved you by His will, and it is God who sustains you by His will. And as you plod and trudge along through the trials of life, we are looking backward to a God who saved us and forward to a God who will keep us. And every single day, we are walking with a God who gives us nothing but good things as His children. He loves us. He cares about us. The Lord brought us forth of His own will, and the Lord has promised we will make it to the end. And there you are, scared, worried, and alone. The troubles of this world and the desires of your flesh and the trial that you're going through has put you in a place that many of us have been and even more of us will be in. 
And that's a place where you say, God, do you really mean good for me? God, am I really your child? God, is this stuff really true? You're like John the Baptist. And if you had someone who could go, you would go and you would say, Jesus, tell me, are you really the Christ? The depths and darkness of your trial and the glories of the promises have such a great gap between them that you are struggling to see who Christ is. James has a word for you. Remember who you were before. And remember the God who brought you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The God who by His word called you and brought you forth by the word of truth. Making you a kind of first fruits of His creatures. That is one of the first citizens of the kingdom of God in James's day. And now this first fruits language has come to fruition. In that we are late fruits. We are later fruits. We have been in the vineyard for a long time. God has been building His church for a long time. And here we are. And as you're in the darkness, look back to that day when Jesus plucked you from the fire, when Christ saved your soul, when you, you had the miracle of faith granted to you by the Holy Spirit. And look forward to the promise that God has made. For the promises of God are irrevocable. And remember, what worries ought I to have? What fear ought I to have? If God is for us, if He has brought us forth, if God is for us, if He keeps us till the end, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? Not trials, not COVID-19, not death, not famine, not plague, not sword. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, the Bible tells us. Remember who God is and what God has done and recognize and walk in faith as you receive the gifts of the Lord, as you walk in fellowship with the Lord. You may be tested by trials and you may be tempted by sin, but my friends, we are kept. We are held by the Lord, by His grace by His power, by His authority. Nothing, nothing, nothing can pluck you from His hand. We are kept forever by the grace of the Lord. You may need to respond to this truth today. While we're not opening the altar at this time point, we nonetheless want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord this morning. You take a few moments now to pray. If you are a believer, take a few moments to pray and ask the Lord to draw you to Himself today. If you're an unbeliever and you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I'd love to talk to you when this service is over about what it means for you to trust in Christ. We'll keep a good distance. I'll wear my mask and we'll make sure that we do that safely, but we want you to meet the Lord today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. Get with me after this service if you're interested in joining First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the fact that by your grace and for your glory, we are held fast forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.